security rabbit hole to yet another edition of the down to security rabbit hole podcast this is raf and uh, i welcome you to another midsummer's episode james is over there also in some sweltering heat james oh it's sweltering all right man it is hot outside that is for sure <laughs> yeah it is uh it is it is ridiculous and uh to, uh, to accommodate the heat and temperature, we've got a hot episode on Target for you today. See what I did there? And uh, I've got Ken Carnese with us. Ken, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. You uh, uh, you ready to uh, light up the mic? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, guys, we've, we've done a couple of uh, – we've, we've done the DNS conversation at least once recently. Um, and the title of this episode is DNS Under Siege. Now, the, the – I think the premise on this round is a little bit deeper dive into what exactly uh, is going on from a uh, underpinnings of the internet perspective, um, what's changed in the landscape, what's different. And then, so what? Like, who cares? Should we be worried about this? Is there anything to be done here? Um, and so for that, uh, Ken, we've got you to uh, answer some of those questions. Let's start with uh, the last episode was DNS turns 40, I think. Um, so officially DNS is now, uh, middle-aged. Uh, I, I feel it's like the hill. it is experience. What's that? It's over the hill. That's right. Remember that turn 40 I feel like it's over ex- the hill. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's experiencing all the over the hill functions that we, uh, we yeah. older middle-aged people get, uh, you know, it's got some pains. Sometimes things break without, uh, without understanding. And uh, it's easily fooled. And uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll let you take it from there. Tell me about why the conversation about DNS right now and, and what's driving it in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I think there's, there's a lot of threats out there. And I think um, that's no surprise. And recently, a lot of this has to do with uh, CISA and other government directives, right? Like DNS keeps coming up as a hot topic, even though it is a you know, 40-ish year old technology. Uh, it's nothing new, but there's definitely reasons why people are looking at it uh, with a refreshed view today, I'll say. Um, so, you know, I think I think if we get into it, um, happy to to describe what DNS is and how, how it works. But I mean, I think the reason that you see uh, DNS coming up as a technology that we're talking about a lot more these days has to do with the way the internet has effectively changed over the last, I'll say, five, six, seven years. And um, it has it has to do, it's a lot actually, the whole, the re, a big part of the reason why I started DNS Filter in the first place 
um, and that is the advent of encryption. So um, <clears throat> at least within a organization, I'll say, um, we used to use sort of appliances like a Barracuda or what, whatnot uh, to inspect traffic. Well, if you remember back in the day, I mean, back in the day being, I'll say 2015-ish, um, there's, there. <laughs> yeah, there's um, you know, you used to see the lock, everybody would say like, when you go buy something on the internet or you're logging into your bank site, look for the lock logo on your browser. Um, and that's really all it was for back then. It was like e-commerce sites, banking sites, Google and Facebook. And there was a really big push. I think at that time, maybe like 35% or so of the internet was encrypted. There was a big push by Google and Facebook that they wanted, you know, close to 100% of the internet, uh, internet, you know, internet browsing traffic essentially to be encrypted. Uh, they've been successful at, at pu uh, pulling that off. So today, here we are, um, almost every website you're going to go to these days is encrypted. Uh, by nature of that, a lot of the ways that we used to inspect traffic and deal with threats and block threats in the past is um, sort of antiquated technology, and that brought DNS DNS as a technology back into the view uh, just due to the fact that DNS is required and will, as far as we know, always be a requirement for the Internet to function. So it's kind of a core technology. I'm a little concerned because this is a question I posed before is um, why haven't the architects of the internet, the great, uh, the great gods of the internet figured out a method uh, for whatever DNS 2.0 should be, right? Uh, is it, is it sort of the, uh, the problem we had in banking with old technologies? It's just too hard to replace it all at once. Is there like, it's like IPv6, the reason that, you know, we're not all, uh, on IPv6 and, and everything is it was just super complicated. Like what's the reasoning? You know, that's a question that's never actually been asked of me. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know that I have a good answer um, for sure, but in my opinion, yeah, I think it would be, uh, I mean, it's, it's literally the core of like every single everything. internet request out there. I think it would be uh, dramatically difficult to replace and to be honest, I'm not quite sure it's exactly broken either. So, I'm not, you know, it's sort of like, it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, and I don't know, I yeah, challenge I'm not, I'm that. Not sure. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, okay, broken maybe isn't the right word for it. It's, James, dare I say antiquated? Like, it's just not kept up with the the evolution of the technology that depends on it. Or maybe that's a great way to put it, right? DNS is stuck in, you know, a long time ago and technology and, and the things that rely on it have dramatically evolved. And, you know, it's like, uh, I heard somebody make a combustion engine uh, comment the other day, an analogy to the combustion engine where, you know, uh, we're still, we're hoping to solve tomorrow's problems with technology that was invented nearly a hundred years ago. In, in that right and I, and I think that there's an analogy to be made there what do you think I don't know I mean I, I would be I hope you're wrong right <laughs> because this is this is the job that I do right now um, but I think that it's actually so a lot of times you hear in the tech world like it's always DNS I don't know if you've heard this, uh, yeah. this uh -huh. statement but like <laughs> um, 
I don't know that it's most of the time that I see there being any issues with it. It's not so much that it's like, oh, it's always DNS as in DNS did something wrong. It's more like, I don't understand why, but almost people don't quite respect it or understand it enough. So there's oftentimes people messing with it that shouldn't or don't actually understand the implications or how important it is. And for some reason, it's just historically feels like it's been an ignored um, ignored technology, like an ignored piece of the uh, internet stack. I'm not exactly sure why. I was going to say, how often is the it's always DNS when you're connected to a VPN at work or something? You know, and it's like, <laughs> why is this not working? And it's because DNS through the VPN tunnel, which then is some reason not configured properly. What's really interesting to think about, though, like, Raph, you're saying it's antiquated, it's outdated, you know, it's not keeping up with current technology. But I mean, what are the risks that most people are saying outside of it's always DNS? Like, what are the concerns that people are flagging around DNS to say, hey, this needs to be re-architected, this needs to be changed? Is it risk around... You know, hey, somebody can forge DNS, you know, like I can take over DNS. What what is it that is the big thing that people are finding? I think that's a question for Raf, right? Uh, look, I'll, I'll give you my spin on it, uh, or at least my my hot take. Uh, I, I'm by now no means a DNS expert, nor will I ever pretend to be. I tried to run a bind server once back in the in, in my early days and realized this is not an area of expertise that I will I think I want to pursue. Um, that said, there's a couple of things, right? So DNS is the underpinning of trust on the internet. Um, fundamentally. It's how we build trust between endpoints. It's how we resolve. It's how we make the internet usable to, to the common, you know, Joe and Jane, right? It's, it's, uh, I type in www.yahoo.com and I don't have to remember that Yahoo has 75,000 IP addresses that I could go, right, to, to go through. It, it's the, it's the, it, it's what makes internet usable to the common person. It makes it simpler. But at the same time, it has all these features. And I think that there's this, uh, until you really dig into it, all the flags, all the you know things you could put into the various fields, into these packets, uh, D- uh, TCP or UDP, big difference, right? Uh, do you want to try, uh, you know, flags and all these different options? And you start as I think with, and be ca- I'm being cautious here, as I think with any type of standard, it's not so much the standard itself, it's the lack of people's ability to implement it properly is where things go sideways, right? And and that's why, I mean, you guys exist. That's why there are numerous other companies that do, uh, you know, th- that that scrub and filter and, and watch uh, DNS traffic is because bad guys can hide stuff in it. Um, uh, and, and, and hijacking it isn't necessarily super difficult, uh, out there. So I think the threats are, are, are fairly, um, I don't want to say obvious, but they're fairly numerous. Uh, can thoughts. 
Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. You know, it's um, that's that's what I'm saying. It's I think there's just for whatever reason a, a lack of understanding around it. I mean, you'd be surprised how few how few experts there actually are in the world on <laughs> DNS and building a DNS network and an AnyCast network. Um, it's a lot more challenging than I anticipated it to be. And also, I think it's not, it depends on who you're talking about. But like, for example, certainly a home user, most small, medium businesses, I feel like it's not um, until recently traditionally been a thing that a lot of people think about. They, um, they just, to your point, it's, it is a piece of, uh, a core piece of trust on the internet, but also nobody's ever educated as to should you trust your provider? What are they doing? Um, you know, you just sort of connect and and use whatever you're given a lot of the times. That's the I was say, So that, to me, go ahead, Jason. I was just going to say, you know, that it's one of those things, DNS, you talk about it kind of falling along the wayside, right? Like it just is there as part of the package. You know, everybody just takes it for granted. I mean, what do you do? I, I go set up my system and it's like, oh, put 8.8.8.8, use Google for DNS or use 1.1.1.1 or, you know, whatever. Like people just put a value in and just trust whatever it is that they're going off to. How many people are actually getting down in there and understanding how that works outside of just put this value in there? I think is what really what you're getting to the bottom of there, Ken. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think even your statement goes a little too far. Like <laughs> you're, you're assuming that other people are like us. I mean, mo like that is, that, that's already a good step to be using Google DNS, Cloudflare DNS or, you know, anything like that. Most people don't even ever get to that point in the first place. Most people just, you know, get their Comcast router or whatever it may be, connect, use it and whatever it is, it is, you know, or. Um, what happens when you when you leave your home? I mean, on your cell network, public Wi-Fi networks, you just most people I don't even think get that far is my point. Well, so I, I think that there you go. I think that this is the there's there's an education thing here. Right. Um, although and, and there's two places I want to go with this one um, from a trust perspective, uh, you're a provider that you're connected to. Right. Whoever feeds you your DHCP information that, that populates that DNS field, it's probably data mining every DNS request you make and selling it to somebody for analytics and, and as, as a you know, as, as a monetized function. Um, that said, when you when people go on open Wi-Fi networks, people go to Starbucks, they go to their hotel, they go, you know, like like, like me, when you travel, you hook up to your Wi-Fi network. You get an IP address, you get a net mask, and you get a DNS address, and off you go. How do you know that that is a trustworthy uh, authority on converting name to IP address? And this is where I say the tech. I don't want maybe antiquated is the wrong word. I don't. I don't know what the correct word here is, but we have to establish better trust in the way we connect to the internet and not to, not to, you know, uh, point things out here again, but DNS enables phishing. Like, you know, it, it, it there's, there some of the functions in the D the way DNS supports multiple languages and vast different, um, uh, 
uh, encoding schemes and whatnot allows you to create, you know, uh, really weird DNS entries that look like, you know, paypal.com, but are in, in fact in a different language or whatever, or other issues. And, uh, okay, so we've, ident we've identified a, a truckload of problems. How do we begin, do, how do you start to unwrap this onion and, and make it something that's consumable and that will take us into the next phase of trustworthiness on the internet? Any thoughts? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I think the answer is a little bit different depending on if we're talking about business or just the general, you know, consumer out there. Um, on the business side, I mean, I don't know a better way to put it, but if you're if you're running your business's uh, network, like you should kind of know these things and and keep up and protect the business. Of course, if you're in you know in, in IT, um, but for the average consumer, I don't know that I have a solution off the top of my head. You know, suggestions would be that I feel like there's um, uh, I I potentially start asking maybe the operating systems to actually surface some of this information to lay people a little bit, you know, who is the provider? Are they trustworthy? Um, now, I mean, I know that's not exactly an easy thing to do, uh, but to your point, it's not exactly for a normal person simple to even know who their DNS provider is in the first place, in my opinion. If I told them, yes. would they care? I was going to say, that's that's the problem I see running into, like, from a personal level. Like, nobody's going to know, you know, even if your computer popped up and said, oh, your DNS just changed from Google to Cloudflare. Like, okay. Like, that means nothing to anybody, really, right? I mean, so it is one of those things that, I mean, it's just the pure fabric of most users. When you talk about a business organization, you can control that. Like, all of our systems connect in and we can control how that flows out. But you start getting in homes and, you know, outside that's mobile devices where you're crossing different networks and joining different towers and doing all this different stuff. Now this becomes way more difficult, right? Or, I, you know, I go from my house on Wi-Fi to the neighbor's house and I connect to their Wi-Fi or whatever it is popping up that you went from this to that. You know, it's not it's never going to mean anything to the, the normal person out there. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, nothing to me, you know, <laughs> like, OK, yep. it's it's. This versus that, I, as long as the page pulled up, I don't care, you know, as long as it worked. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And you see, you see some uh, efforts, I think, through the browsers, you know, for DOT and so forth, trying to make some efforts there. Uh, but it certainly doesn't protect, you know, doesn't protect everything, um, doesn't protect your mobile device, doesn't really protect anything going on outside of the browser, which could certainly be. Uh, risk as well. Yeah, I mean, I, the the closest thing I could see relevant to that is how we do certificate stores and stuff like that, where Raf, to your point of at the OS level, the OS says these are a list of trusted DNS servers, mm -hmm. and we'll allow these. And if as soon as you start using something that's not a trusted DNS server, we're going to start raising the flags and say, wait a minute, something's not right here, just like we did with certificates. The only downside is it's going to pop a box and everybody's just going to click the button that says, yeah, no, I'll go ahead and do this. Like, it'll work. Sure, I'll push the button. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that something along those lines for the average consumer would probably be a great, um, 
a great step. But then to your point, the whole trusted aspect, um, I'm not a big person on like politics and certifications and committees and things like that. So right. I think there's a huge question of like who gets into the certified list and so forth. Um, I think it'd be similar, right, to the, I mean, how do you get a certified list in the browser, you know, for certificate stores, right? Like, I mean, how do you get trusted in that way? I mean, you know, I agree not wanting to get like, oh, only these people get to do it. But that's that's the closest thing I could kind of draw a, a relativeness to is that scenario where you could pop that up. But again, I don't know like how much the normal person would be able to identify that and say, oh, I don't want to do this because of mm-hmm. this warning. Yeah. I mean, I could certainly see something along the lines of like what we saw when Wi-Fi became more popular and we're always being educated make sure you're connected to a, you know, quote unquote secure network. Um, but now I feel like the definition of secure <laughs> in the OS is just a little bit off, you know, like it still gives the same message about what makes a secure network these days as it did 15 years ago, which is as long as you're connected to encrypted Wi-Fi, it sort of makes you feel like you're, you're good for the average uh, user. And that's just not, not the case. Well, so guys, the, okay, so it's ICANN and IANA, right? Those are uh, the two major Internet Assigned Numbers Authority and International Consortium Corporation for Assigned Numbers Names, something like that. I don't remember those anymore. But those are those were two places um, where we started talking about, let me, let me take this, you, you mentioned politics, Ken, so you know, the U.S. government controlled those for a while, right? Which means, okay, interesting, but the U.S. government does not control the entire internet, right? It's a global thing. So there was talk for a bit about uh, transitioning it to a, uh, I think it was like a U.N. type function. And suddenly we're like, wait a minute. So China or Russia can potentially have a say in how uh, internet names are assigned and how we do things like I don't want to do that. Um, and and I, now that uh, ICANN is back as of like 2016, 17, something like that. I mean, if I can see, you can find it real quick. But um, 2016, October 1st, 2016. Uh, there it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, ICANN, uh, is now was officially made a uh, uh, off the government its own corporation run out of LA. So it's, it, there's a lot of, when I talk about trust, I'm not just saying like trust in whether www.yahoo.com actually points to yahoo.com. I'm talking about the ability to largely potentially control what people can get to, where they can get to, what domains they can see, what domains, you know, countries priorities and stuff like that. Like this is a big deal. DNS is, you know, we think of it, us techies think of it broadly as the translation of names to IP addresses, but it really is uh, um, such a big deal. Like all these new TLDs, right? Dot XXX, dot consulting, dot whatever, right? Dot doctor, dot whatever, like dot sports and some of these other ones. Like these are, you know, we're creating all of these. Who manages this? Who determines what's allowed? And I, and I bring that up because when you've got a botnet or threat actor operating off of, a, uh, off of one of these registries, who controls whether it gets taken down? 
uh, who controls uh, and, and that can you know who can be investigated and how we we do that. Like there are really big geopolitical geo social issues in this, and I, I I hesitate to say that this wasn't it really wasn't built with a lot of this in mind. I'm sure they thought about this, right? The kind of complexities we're getting into today. It just doesn't feel like it's ready. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's a little bit unrelated, but sort of similar where I got asked to, you know, again, it, I wouldn't say it was the most fun experience of my life, given um, my just disdain for politics usually. But um, I got asked to participate in a um, like a Senate subcommittee, I would say, about yeah. uh, combating online piracy. And we got into the same exact discussion of like, who is responsible ultimately, like, you know, one argument, I was there, of course, because argument against the DNS layer being responsible, and so forth. There's actually been a big court case in Germany um, last year, I believe that, that uh, Sony took, uh, Sony sued quad nine in Germany, I believe. And um, okay, uh, essentially, they won the lawsuit and quad nine has to be responsible for blocking copy sort of domains that violate copywritten content for at least for sony um you know to keep people from being able to access those sites and i felt like it was kind of a dangerous path to be going down to be putting that on the dns provider but you know but for sure as i got into some of these discussions on combating piracy it it's um it's tough. I mean, nobody, nobody knows what to do really to your, to your point. You know, I, I went in thinking, uh, well, you know, you stop it at the source, like just at using copywritten content as a, an, an example, stop it at the source where it's hosted or, um, you know, at the registrar level. But, uh, to your point with all these TLDs popping up, I mean, they're outside of, control of anybody so there it's just very right. hard you know and what do you do you can't just start i mean we give our customers the ability to cut off entire tlds if they want to but as a provider or you know any dns provider just trying to ensure the internet's functioning and um not quite making determinations on what people should be doing it's it's a fine line well and how do you I mean, let's take this down to a technical level, right? So how do you even look at a DNS packet? Somebody's making a query. It's a, it, you know, they could be going to their bank. They could be going to adult content. They could be going to something about bomb making. Um, and, and so there's a plethora of considerations there. How do you balance all right, wording carefully now. How do I balance privacy with inspection of DNS traffic for hijack, meaning like uh, malware and threat actors stuffing things in DNS packets, uh, and just normal functionality? Like, how do you how do you do that with people's privacy in mind and at scale? Yeah. So, like. I mean, it depends on the company, I think, but I could at least speak to sort of what, what we do, you know? Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's anonymized data, right? So like when we don't really make a decision as to what 
if somebody should be allowed to do something or not. We just say what it is categorized as. So, I mean, I don't want to hijack the whole, you know, all the time. I mean, you can tell me if you're not interested, but, uh, you know, we basically are just sort of every time we see a new domain pop up, a new URL popping up, we go and we scan and categorize that domain and store it and, and use our AI to continuously refresh um, that domain or that URL to see if anything's changed on it. But, you know, to your point, we would, somebody goes to some new adult site, we'll categorize it as adult and we'll ultimately let the user decide if they want their people going there or not. I don't know if that really answers your question, but we're not. But it removes the privacy, right? right? It takes the privacy away though from that if it's anonymized where it's like, I don't care who it's coming from. If it's going to category A and we're blocking category A, that gets dropped, right? I mean, it's not like, oh, Joe in accounting just requested this and it's getting blocked. It's just somebody Even that is it, up to the customer. It. I mean, we we don't look at that, but yeah, the customer, and, and this is a business environment a lot of times you have to keep in mind. And we do have, um, we do have some, I'll say large consumer users where we probably have at least a million homes that go through our service. I mean, that is completely anonymous data. Neither us nor the providers that that we um, that are using us are able to see that data. On the business side, I mean, um, it's kind of like GDPR. They can de- they can determine uh, whether they want to see who did what specifically. But from our end, to your point, we're not really caring who went to do what. We're more just saying, hey, this is a domain we haven't seen before. We're going to go categorize it. Okay, so. But let's now deal with the second part of that question that I that I posed, which is, you, you it's encrypted traffic going to a endpoint that has to understand it, right? So it's decrypted there. Uh, you have to effectively look inside to see whether the structure of the payload is correct, whether it matches any known uh, indicators of compromise or attack. Whether, you know, looking at malformed addresses, looking at, gee, that's Even an awfully weird size. request being made to a non-existing domain, like, you know, uh, whatever, or, or like suspicious traffic or whatever, right? Um, without using the words AI, tell me how, how, how the industry can solve that. <laughs> um, what do you, could you elaborate on how the industry, what do you mean by how the industry could solve it? Well, I mean, your company, other DNS providers, you know, what, what's the, what's the, uh, I, I don't want to make it specific to you guys, but you know, what's the solution there? Is it, is it kind mm-hmm. of what we looked at from the firewall, like a deep packet inspection thing pattern? Uh, uh, I see IDS inside of uh, pattern matching inside of uh, DNS packets. Like how do you do that at a reasonable scale? It's well, it's kind of hard without AI. Machine learning. <laughs> but, um, it's machine learning. <laughs> yeah, you have to have machine <laughs> machine learning is a better way to put it. I would suppose. I suppose. Thank you. But James. there are a lot of things we we look at. I mean, it's you know when we're looking at a domain, we're looking at the content of the page, what backlinks to it, where's it hosted, how many locations is this domain hosted at, like what you know, in terms of the IPs, like what threats have been associated with these IPs? Where are the, who are the IPs owned by? You know, the who is record of the domain, the content of the page, 
Um, we look at, we do image analysis even, we'll do screenshots of the page and then um, often compare the uh, screenshot of that page to screenshots of other known pages. So like an example there would be, we pick up a ton of like Microsoft phishing attacks this way, where, um, so in the past, uh, or maybe I don't know what other competitors do, but um, you know they look at the content of the page, right? And they'll look for misspellings or whatever it may be, stuff that just doesn't line up. Uh, well, threat actors got um, smart to that, and they they make the entire page an image or created by CSS or whatever. So those traditional methods aren't exactly <laughs> able to be utilized anymore. So we'll take a screenshot of. Um, that page and we'll have like thousands of known Microsoft pages and trusted known Microsoft logos as an example and match them and identify a ton of threats just that way visually. Um, you know, you're looking at the size of the packets even for like data exfiltration. I mean, if the DNS records are too large, there's probably something going on there. So um, there's a ton uh, to look at. I think we look at 80 somewhat different angles. And then of course, ingesting 50 to 60, I think 63 actually different, different threat feeds in, in addition to developing our own, but ultimately it kind of is hard to overlay all that information without tremendous machine learning background. Interesting. I, I think the battle for, uh, the trust and uh, not to make this sound too dramatic, but I think with the battle for the trust and soul of the internet really starts and stops at routing in DNS. And I think the DNS is at the core of a lot of the, uh, a, a lot, a lot of this, right. In the conversation and making DNS trustworthy um, and just based on the, 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 the routing that it returns and the data that, that it can uh, take across network boundaries for the purpose of data exfiltration, data, in, you know, attacker infiltration and malware, et cetera, et cetera. The potential there is massive. I do not see enough discussion and technology around like your company around this issue. Um, and, and is that weird? Or am I just not seeing? Am no, I just not looking at the right I think places? you're 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 exactly correct. I mean, especially outside of I'll say enterprise organizations, um, yeah. you don't really hear a lot of discussion about it. I mean, it's a it's a technology that's been around for a while, uh, but we're still spending a lot of our time putting out threat reports and research and trying to educate people on what it even is and why it's important. And I'm not, I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure why it's something that we have to do so hard and, and, you know, there have to be directives and so forth, but I mean, it's coming to the forefront. I think in our threat report that we put out a few months ago, um, it's also just really interesting that threat actors are really starting to leverage it in much larger, uh, ways, much more often. So like, uh, you see every time there's a world event, it seems like this kind of happened during COVID actually, but in, in our observation, it's like once COVID hit as a term that people were concerned about, 
that kicked off an in- incredible spikes. Like last year, there was a we saw a twelve hundred percent increase in botnet traffic, three hundred percent increase in in uh, phishing traffic, and two hundred percent increase in malware traffic. And it's like they picked up COVID as a term, hijacked that term in a bunch of domains. To your point, to redirect people to you know malicious content for whatever purposes. And now though, after that has happened, we see that happening every time there's some sort of new um, global issue or global threat, I'll say. Like the, you know, the war in Ukraine, another huge one that we see this happening with. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'd love to, I'd love to see, because I think the solution and maybe not the solution, but the way to address it is on two fronts. You've got the consumer and then you've got the enterprise. I think the enterprise we can we can solve with tech, uh, without having to educate the end users about it because we have control, right? Or at least we pretend to. Um, for the consumer, I think this is where the where the innovation needs to start happening. And you're right. Maybe it's the operating system vendors. Um, maybe there needs to be a bubble that pops up and says, "Hey." Your computer is now trusting, you know, used to be trusting Comcast. Now it's trusting uh, and completely we've an unknown server that dictates what, uh, you know, your www.whatever translates into and goes to. Are you sure you want to yep. do this? Like I, I, there's got to be a better way to do that than what I just said. But you get what I'm driving at. Like there, how do you get away from user apathy and teach people to be concerned about it? without creating a panic uh because then it eventually that wears off and drives more apathy but how do we get this to people to think about it at the consumer level at the everyday user level and and make it real for them i i i'm struggling yeah 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 i mean i i feel like it probably is sort of up to the os providers you know if i had to say internet service providers start taking a little bit of um responsibility for this in the education and ensuring the safety. Uh, it is tough to do without, you know, uh, it, it is tough to do while respecting people's privacy though. And, and I think it's not, not because of DNS as a technology, but all, all I will say is that, um, it's not cheap to do what, what I explained that we do, right? Like that, that takes a lot of resources to do that at scale. So anytime you're getting, I mean, there's that saying, right? Like anytime, uh, I think it's like anytime a product is free, you're the product (laughs) basically. Um, that's, that, that's, I think what has to be, you have to be careful about because, um, it's not cheap to do this. It cuts into ISPs profits and so forth. So, um, you know, how you how you can offer it for free without data mining? I'll say like that that is that would be a concern uh, for me. There's always well, that. Able to pull out like yeah, you have to pull it out though. It can't be a user decision at at real time, right? I mean, I can't get mm-hmm. something that pops up. We already do this with certificates, which is supposed to somewhat solve this problem. I mean, the whole idea that if I'm going to a shady domain. And they don't have, you know, a trusted certificate. They're using self-signed certificates. We get a warning for that and say, hey, don't use this. Right. But mm-hmm. now we know they can go out and buy certificates. And we, we've defeated this issue. So we keep going down this rabbit hole, you know, of, OK, well, we, we had this. It's like, OK, well, shady places will sell these certificates. And now all of a sudden they've got an EV cert. 
and they look legit. So what's that next step to be able to do that? You know, you're not going to rely on the end user to try to determine if that domain name that you just went to is a phishing site or not a phishing site, you know, especially with as good as they make phishing sites these days, you know, outside of, you know, do we go further than, hey, certificates kind of solve this problem to an extent? Do they solve it enough or not? Yeah, completely agree. All right. Well, that's a good place to put a bow on this as any. I think the conversation continues. <laughs> I think if you're listening to this and you have some ideas uh, on how to attack this from the consumer side, um, or you're with one of the uh, two main, uh, we'll say three main uh, operating system providers out there, um, particularly Apple or Microsoft or uh, folks from Chrome, I want to hear from you. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Want to hear how uh, how we can make this uh, legitimately real for the end user without interfering or causing crazy amounts of friction so that people turn it off. But anyway, that was a good episode. Ken, thanks for joining us. Uh, this was fun. I, I, I learned a couple of new things and I, I had to go back and look up ICANN and IANA. But uh, yeah. Anytime. I appreciate stuff. you having me. All right, James, another good one. Kind of yeah. fun, man. Uh, we just keep putting new episodes out. <laughs> I know. We're creating more problems, not solving any problems. So that's what's happening right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's my fear right now is that people listen to us and go, all right, fine. Another problem for the whiteboard. Hold on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's we, let's let another start, uh, trillion IoT devices get out there before we solve TNS. Okay. Let's let's really pack oh, the good. cord. <laughs> hey you better watch okay, it this will be in the next executive note. order yeah lovely that's a good time all right thanks again ken james been fun folks thank you for listening this has been another episode of the down the security rabbit hole podcast we hope you enjoyed it and we will catch you again um i would say go check us out on uh, itunes give us a rating that'd be kind of fun um, subscribe to our LinkedIn page if you're not on there so you can see when these things uh, get pushed live and you get to uh, potentially hang out uh, and chat with us, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is still relatively new, so it's a lot of fun, but uh, we're learning. And uh, yeah, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, thanks for... By the way, uh, apparently we came in runner-up, James, in the European InfoSec Blogger Awards for uh, Best uh, Non-Vendor Podcast. I'm really excited about that. Thanks for yeah. everybody who voted on a thing I didn't know happened. <laughs> so there's that. All right, cool. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys another time, another place on another Down to Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Bye-bye. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag PoundDTSR. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security